So Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10, through to 6, verse 9. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a labourer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Chapter 6, verse 1. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many, many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and it goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rests rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place? All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This, is also, this also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Hey, open up your Bibles there again uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and we're looking from verse 10. Now if you're visiting or new, sorry it's been so much about me, but we're getting to the main part of our gathering now and we're going to hear from God himself which is awesome. We're going to go through this series, or continue to do that, called Searching and um, we're going to look at the topic of money this morning as the preacher, as he's known, 
uh, is looking at life under the sun just from our limited perspective and kind of looking at a bunch of different things and having a hard go at them with all of his wisdom and wealth and trying to work out what's the best life you can live. Uh, and so he's looking at money today. Will, will this be the thing that satisfies him? And so we're going to look at that today. Now, one of the things that might be worth saying is um, when you think of money and wealth, maybe, maybe you're thinking, oh, I don't really need to listen to this passage. This is not for me. Uh, I'm just like kind of middle class. I don't really have any issues with money. And that might be true. Um, the reality is that as we've gone through all of these different topics through Ecclesiastes, not all of them hits us all in the same way. We all have different weaknesses and things we struggle with. But the reality is this is God's word for all people, and so we should all listen. Maybe you don't struggle with money um, or wealth, and you don't want to pursue it, and you don't love it, maybe the way you love cricket or something like that. But the reality is that God might bring someone into your life who struggles with it, and he might need you, and he wants you to disciple them. So listen up. This is for everyone. Now, on Monday, we we did this staff lunch thing as a kind of farewell, and... um, Justin ordered this burger that I thought of getting, but I was wise enough not to get it. I think it's called the Double Double, and it's got a double patty, double bacon, double cheese. And, and, and in my wisdom, I knew I'm not going to get it because, you know, when you have these burgers and you, spack, you, know, you stack them with all of those goodies, and then when you finally have to come and eat them, you have to squish them to try and get them in your mouth, and then all the good stuff falls out. And so, in, in fairness to Justin, he did kind of split it in half and kind of had two burgers that he was going at. The reason why I say that is our passage is a bit like that. Uh, it's got this kind of negative vibe, if you like, at both the top and the bottom. And it's pushing us as we go, and it wants us to get to the middle where the good stuff is. Okay, it's, it's a bit like a burger. If you're into your academics, it's called a chiastic structure. And so, I'm, we're going to see stuff at the at the top and the bottom, and the top and the bottom, and we're going to work our way till we land with the gold, which is the meat, obviously. And so, let me pray, and then we'll get into it. Father God, thank you so much um, that as we're thinking of leaving, and we are leaving, and as we've said our goodbyes, and we have limited things to say, we're so numb in all of our emotions because of um, yeah, the great gift that this church has been to us. And leaving these guys is hard, but the reality is you will still be here tomorrow and forever. You love these people more than us, and you've got even greater things to say to them than what we have. And so may we hear you now. Would you address us? Would you speak beautiful words of hope uh, and love and kindness and joy into our lives, not just for them, but even me and Beck as we head off? So be with us now, we pray, and we pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Now, the first thing that we see from this passage that the preacher would like us to see as he tackles the idea of money is that money doesn't satisfy our souls. The main conclusion of the preacher after he searched out money to see if that's where we can find meaning of life is found in chapter 5, verse 10. Listen to this. He just opens it up right at the start. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. You see, if you love money, you won't be satisfied by it. Money is a shocking lover. (laughs) If you love it and you tie yourself to it, a bit like you might do with someone in marriage, it's ultimately not going to love you back. Maybe it gives you some highs along the way that feels like love, but in the end you will still feel empty. 
And it's worth noticing that we're talking about loving money, not simply having money or needing money. You see, loving money is about pulling all your hopes into it, being driven by it, having money at the center of your thinking and of your life and of your calendar and your diary. It's for it, in some sense, to control you. You would do anything as you love money to get it. You would sacrifice anything for it. And so uh, it's not just the wealthy people in this sense then that love money. You can have someone with very little who loves money, whose every decision is shaped by wanting it and living for it. But as I'm sure you've also experienced in people, the preacher says those who love money will never be satisfied with their income. It's also worth noting that money is a good and necessary thing according to the Bible. You know, the Bible certainly doesn't say that all Christians should have no money and we should all be poor and, hey, somehow God will provide, you know, like it did to the people in the wilderness. Bread will just fall down everywhere and we'll be looked after. No, money is a good thing in some way. You see, look there at verse 11. Money can increase our goods. And, and it's interesting how he doesn't just say possessions, but he says goods, because money can provide good things for us. We also see in 5.14 and 6.3 that money can be used by parents to provide for their families. That's a good thing. And in verse 12, we see that money gets us food and fills our bellies, which is necessary to survive as humans, if you haven't worked that out yet. But ultimately, money will not satisfy the deepest desires of our soul. Look there at, at, at verse 7 of chapter 6. Notice how we're going from the start to the end. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. What this verse is saying is that money can satisfy our appetites for food, but it cannot satisfy the appetite of our hearts. The word translated as appetite there is literally the word soul. You can see in verse 3 of chapter 6 there when it says, but his soul is not satisfied with life, good things. It's the same word. But the writer is, is being a bit poetic and he's using this idea of our appetite for food and he's saying our souls have a similar appetite. And just like food can never completely satisfy our appetites of our mouths, so money can never satisfy the appetites of our hearts. You know, Christmas is coming up, and one thing that's guaranteed over the Christmas time is that we're going to eat too much. Maybe you're going to do it for multiple times, depending on how many of these things you have, but at least probably Christmas lunch, you are going to stuff your face, and you're going to be so full. Or maybe that's just me. But you're going to probably, you're going to sit down with all this food, and you're going to enjoy it, and they're going to bring out dessert, and then there's going to be this and that and the other, and you're going to get to the end, and you're going to feel like you're bursting at the seams, and you're going to hear people say stuff like, Man, I don't think I'm going to need anything for the next week. Or well, I don't think I'll ever need food after this. But I bet you it's probably not going to be 24 hours before they're at the fridge again, looking for all the leftovers and starting to eat again. You see, um, it's the same with, with money. Uh, with money, it's the same. When we buy that new car, that, that new phone, when we put some more money into that savings account, when we get that pay rise, we, we get that satisfaction. We think, oh, finally, I've got everything. And, and, and it soon wears off. And the preacher's point is that loving money will never satisfy the, the desire and, and, and the um, appetite of our souls. Now, that's a big statement, isn't it? Especially in our world where money is held out to be the answer to so much. 
Now, as the preacher normally does following a big statement, he gives some supporting evidence. And he, he kind of gives these three things our souls long for that money just can't provide. And they are relationships, rest, and restoration. And so let's tackle those with the preacher. Uh, here's the first bit, is that money can't provide relationships. Have a look there at verse 11 with me. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? What this verse is saying is something that we all know. The rich have lots of friends. <laughs> but they're not necessarily real friends for the most part. Maybe they've got one or two friends that, that they've known from childhood. People that wanted to hang out with them before they got wealthy. People who's really cared for them and invested in them and, and care about them and not just all of their possessions. Those friends are the real ones, but then there are the other ones who are there for the rich man's possessions, for, for his power, and for all the parties maybe that he, that he holds. And, and what's the advantage for this rich person? Do they, do they gain any deep friends the more their money uh, increases? No, says the preacher. The, the rich simply sees what they've gained, and they've got lots more people in their lives who are busy uh, wanting a part in all of that. And so, uh, people come to enjoy the things that this rich person's got, but not enjoy the man himself. Only he's riches. You see, money can't buy you true and deep relationships. And we see it again there, if you go to the, the bottom half of the same point, in verse 3 of chapter 6. Look at it with me. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things and he has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. So here we have a wealthy man, right? He's the epitome of a Hebrew person because he's lots of everything. He's got lots of children, he's lived lots of years, and he's also got lots of money. Yet his soul is not satisfied because he's got no real deep and meaningful relationships. And how do I know that? Well, look there, when he dies, he has no burial. You know, we know, I don't know if you've been to uh, enough funerals to experience this, but often you get these awkward funerals because there are family members who's decided that they're not going to come. You know, there's been hurt in the family, there's been broken relationship, and some, some families decide that they're going to stay away. Uh, now, this man, despite having tons of money, um, has absolutely no meaningful relationships. Not even his own many children cared enough for him to organize a funeral. They were probably all too busy spending their inheritances. That's how sad it is. And it's so sad that the picture brings in this other sad picture, a picture of a stillborn child. It's, it's quite heavy. You know, having a stillborn child must be one of the saddest things for parents to experience. We have, haven't experienced that, but I, it's one of those things, a bit like when you read the story of uh, Moses' mother putting him in the water, where since we've had kids, I just start tearing up. It's one of those things, if I imagine it, it I just choke up. And, and, and I've heard stories from some dear friends. And yet the preacher says that a stillborn child is better off than a rich man, this particular rich man. Why? Well, look at verse 4 of chapter 6. He gives the answer. For it, that's talking about the stillborn child, comes in vanity and it goes in darkness and in darkness its name is covered. 
You see, a stillborn child is not known because it never lived. Often parents remember their name and, and they, they celebrate with their siblings maybe every year. But the rich man who loved his money so much that he, that he could never spend any time with his kids and he never had any meaningful, and relationship, meaningful relationships with others, his name is covered and forgotten by those who you should expect to remember it most, those who are closest to him. No one will remember the rich man who worshipped money, not even his grandchildren, because his kids couldn't even be bothered to run a funeral for him. They couldn't be bothered to do a eulogy. And so his name is covered by those who should exalt it, who should love him most. How sad. Money can't satisfy your soul because it can't buy you relationships. And you and I are creational uh, or relational beings who need others to survive. So this is pretty key. So that's the first thing that money can't provide. The second thing is it can't provide rest. Have a look there at verse 12 with me. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. You see, loving, loving money keeps you up at night. We saw this a few weeks ago. You know, you worry about work, you worry about investments, you worry about your workforce, you worry about your assets, worry, 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 and you just can't go to sleep. And anyone in leadership, or maybe you're owning your own business, you know, like Craig or others, you know that kind of naturally happens when you go to a certain level. But if you love money, it's kind of like a hundredfold more. Uh, you know, one thing that I thought about for this myself, I see myself as a really ordinary worker. If you see yourself as an ordinary worker who sleep well, be thankful. You know, you have something that many people who love money and who have tons of money can't afford, and that is quiet, peace, and rest. And we see this again in verse 5 of chapter 6. Look there at it with me. In chapter 5 of verse 6, Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. So here we find the second reason why the stillborn child is better off than the rich man who loves money. The, the stillborn child actually finds rest, something that the rich man never finds. He's always frantically busy, chasing money, stressed about profits, looking at the next big thing. And, and, and they think that someday they're finally going to have enough so that they can be satisfied. And so, so I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. And one day that day is going to come and I'm going to be able to put my feet up and I'm going to be able to enjoy it. And, and in some cases that just never happens because they're just never satisfied with the amount of money they have. And in other cases, in sad cases, people finally retire and they think, I've got enough. And then they get cancer and they die. And they never get to enjoy it. And so here we've got this rich man. Uh, but but, but it, it's just the reality is that the day will never come when we will have enough money. And then there's a reason that God at creation uh, instituted the Sabbath. Because it's a day we're meant to be resting from work. We need it and it's good for us. But money can't buy that for us. So that's the second thing. Money can't provide rest. And thirdly, it can't provide restoration. By the way, I'm just thinking as I'm seeing the title money, this is not a talk about money. There's lots of things we can say uh, more or less maybe. This is just a, a look into it through the perspective of Ecclesiastes. 
So there'll be lots of things maybe you have questions about. Feel free to ask Tony. He knows everything about money. Okay, so the third thing. I hope so, Tony. Um, it, can prov- it can't provide restoration. Have a look there from verse 13 with me. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. You see, when we love money, it hurts us and it hurts others. And no money in the world can fix that. Some of the wealthiest people have the deepest scars. In this case, a man who loves money made a bad decision and he lost everything. And he can't simply fix that mistake with money. I mean, even if he had money, he can't restore the money that he's lost. And and, and somehow, if he had lots of money, he can't somehow just turn back the clock of time to undo his bad decision. And to make it worse, he has a son and he has nothing to offer him. And look at the picture of this man there in verse 17. Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. It's a picture of a painful, lonely, resentful and unhealthy life. That's what happens when you love money and you get crushed by it. And money can't fix that. The scars left by money cannot be restored by money. And look at the sad reality of the end of this man's life there in verse 15. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. And so this rich man that owned so much finishes life with nothing in his hands. Nothing. And as he dies, he has the same amount of wealth and possessions as he had when he was first born. Now you might say... Okay, okay, I see what this guy's trying to do. But you know what? If I ever get rich, I'm not going to be like this guy. I'm not going to make a mess. You know, he lost all his money in this bad venture. He made a foolish decision. And if I ever get lots of money, I'm just not going to do that. But the preacher says, it doesn't really matter if you lose all your wealth before you die or not. We will all end up grave empty-handed, no matter how much or how little we have. That's why he pretty much repeats Verse 15, almost word for word in verse 16, because it's applicable to all of us. Have a look there in verse 16. This also is a grievous evil. So now he's gone from the guy that he's just talking about to a more general statement to all. Just as he came, so he shall go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? That's for all of us. Wow. So we will come into the world with nothing. We will spend our whole lives toiling and striving and and working and having a go at things. And and it's all going to happen in frustration. And there'll be moments of fleeting pleasure. uh, And there'll be times that things just end up in nothingness. And in the end, we will have worked for nothing. It's like we're just, for all of our lives, we were just chasing the wind. That's life under the sun. And it can't be fixed or restored, certainly not by money. Many wealthy Hollywood people try restoring their kind of aging bodies with facelifts and food and and fitness. And in the end, they will just die with nothing. They can't restore life under the sun as it is. Or even think about the pharaohs in Egypt. Over the millennia, they've proved to us that you can't take your money with you when you die. It was a tradition for pharaohs to be buried with all of their wealths, all of their gold and silver gods, and, and it was believed that they're going to enjoy all of those things in their next lives. 
But the only people that enjoyed them were the thieves that <laughs> broke into the tombs and found all the treasure there still. They, they haven't, I think, found any of these tombs except for one with all of the treasure with it because it's all been robbed already. We will all end up empty-handed in the grave and that cannot be fixed by money. Money just can't give us the restoration we so deeply need for ourselves and also for the world. And so what's the conclusion of the preacher? If money can't satisfy our souls, well, how does he propose we do it? Or is it just something we will endlessly seek after but never find? Well, look at the last verse of our passage in chapter 6, verse 9. Look what he says. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. The wandering of the appetite or the soul is vanity and striving after wind. You see, having a soul that's not satisfied and and then going from one thing to another thing to, to try and fill that action is meaningless. Just as the preacher has done it, he says it's frustrating and it's a futile exercise. Not even money can help with it. But the better way to live life is with eyes open to see life as it truly is. It's to have eyes that that aren't impaired with all the fog of the empty promises of life. It is uh, to have eyes that are open. And the preacher tells us right smack bang in the middle of our passage, as I said to you guys, how to see life under the sun truly. But, but also what we've got to bring in mind here is Jesus, because many years after this was written, Jesus comes and he gives us perfect sight. He doesn't just tell us perfectly about life under the sun, but also about life above the sun. He shows us life in heaven and on earth perfectly. And so what we'll do for the next half is we'll follow the preacher's thought, uh, but we'll show it in 2020 kind of vision through um, Jesus, okay? And so I've titled this little section, Life Under Jesus with Money. Because the reality is we need money. So what would life under Jesus look like with money? Have a look there from verse 18. So this is the juicy bit in the burger. This is the good stuff that we want to chew on. Look at verse 18. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. You see, the first reality people with clear vision sees is that life is a gift and it's eternal, which we'll get to in a minute. You see, if you see life as a gift from God that can be taken away any moment, It frees you up to enjoy it, even the little things. The truth of reality is that you're not the master of your own life. And so stop stop acting as if you are. Stop stressing, stop planning, stop um, trying to take charge of uh, of your life in a way that actually you can't. Because uh, you're not in control of it. So um, if you do that, you can just take things lightly as they come. Uh, If you believe in this kind of way of thinking under Jesus, it'll cause much less stress and striving. Um, Now, look, there's wisdom in planning and all of those things, but don't think that you can extend your life uh, through your your efforts. You know, so so enjoy the, the good things in life, even the simple things you might say. Enjoy a cuppa. Enjoy a bacon and egg brekkie. 
Enjoy the joy that comes from your toil, even though it might just be here and there. As Jesus says, this is what he says, which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? None of us can do that. In fact, I think when you're anxious, it maybe shortens your life, doesn't it? And so, just enjoy the few days that God has given you, says the preacher of Ecclesiastes. But then you've got Jesus, not just the preacher of Ecclesiastes, but the preacher of preachers. And he says that not only has God given you life, but he also wants to give you eternal life. Have a look here at John 6, verse 40, what Jesus says. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. You see, Jesus gives us what money can't provide, restoration. Or you might say resurrection. The truth is that Jesus is restoring all things, and he's making all things new again. And those who trust in him as the creator of the new heavens and the new earth, uh, they will be risen to life after death to enjoy it. You know, this is, this is really what the pharaohs of Egypt were longing for when they were buried with their treasure. They were longing for someone who can actually raise them to life again so that they can enjoy their treasure. But does that mean that if you believe in Jesus, you can get buried with all your treasure and you can enjoy it once you've risen? No, it's not quite that simple. Look what Jesus says in Mark chapter 8. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Uh, What point is there in being stinking rich for all of your God-given life on earth and, and, and be absolutely in poverty and sickness and pain for all of eternity? There is no point. What's important for us to notice is not only that the, the, the treasures and the wealth that we gather on earth cannot be enjoyed in heaven, not directly at least, and, but also it's worth noticing um, that, 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 that our stuff on earth could ruin the uh, eternal satisfaction of our souls. This is, this is how Paul puts it in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Look at this, but you'll see a lot of the themes from Ecclesiastes coming through here. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. That still stands. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. See, the love of money causes destruction and pain and can make you walk away from trusting Jesus altogether and so it can ruin eternal life for you. So live simple lives, says Paul. If you're clothed and and, and you have food and you've got all the kind of bare necessities of life, like the guy in the Jungle Book sings. Be happy with it, you know? The truth still that you can't take wealth with you when you die. That's still true for Christians today. And so I guess the question is, well, what do we do with all of our wealth and possessions in this world while we're on earth? Well, we use it to store up treasures in heaven. Have a look here at what Jesus says in Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal, 
But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. You see, the amazing truth about this is that Jesus wants you to have treasure. (laughs) Often people think that following Jesus means that you're not allowed to store up treasure. And it's simply not true. Jesus says, store up treasure. Go for it as much as you can. In fact, work hard to store up treasure for yourself. But he also says, don't store up treasure where it will be destroyed. In fact, store it up where you can't just enjoy it for a few days of your God-given life, but, but store it up where you can enjoy it for eternity. Store up treasure in heaven. Now, when we moved to Australia uh, from South Africa, we had to convert all of our South African rands into dollars, and it shrunk significantly. (laughs) Um, It really did. But if we didn't do it, all of our South African rands would have actually been completely useless. Just imagine going around saying, $10, I'll give you 10 rand. (laughs) No one would take that. It wouldn't work at all. I never tried, but I bet you that would be true. And so we, we, we were moving country, and so we had to... We have to use a different currency. But when you die as a Christian, you're not simply moving to another country. You're actually going to another world. And it's got a different currency. Our worldly treasures just has no, has no, has no uh, currency in heaven. And so we better use what we've got here now well and exchange it for things that do have currency in heaven. And what might those things be? What what is it that's precious to God now that he's also be precious to him in heaven? What what is valued in heaven? Well, things like godliness, being like God, people. God God talks about people as being in his image who he dearly loves, people who he wants to have as his treasured possession. And so God is on about people being discipled. God is on about generous hearts. God is on about holiness, sacrificial giving, contentment, reaching the lost, people in full-time paid ministry actually getting paid. So use your money to invest in these things and don't cling to it and you will have treasure in heaven. I was just thinking, just imagine if the pharaohs knew of this plan of God for humanity to actually enjoy their earthly treasures forever. They wouldn't be trying to keep it with them. They'd be, they'd be doing great things for him. And so then they can enjoy it forever in the future. Money can't satisfy that longing of our souls. But Jesus can. So that's the, the first thing that we see here with life under Jesus with money. Life is a gift and it's eternal. And Jesus wants you to store up treasures that you're going to enjoy forever. The second reality that people with a clear vision sees is that money is a gift to enjoy now. Look there at verse 19 with me. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. God gives wealth. God gives possessions. God gives power. This is not from the devil. It's from God as a gift. And he wants you to enjoy it if you've been blessed with it by him. That's just mind-blowing. God wants you to enjoy your stuff. I mean, most people don't know that about him. See, friends, God is not a killjoy. He doesn't want you to walk around through life just hating it, 
never having any joy. He wants you to enjoy life, even your worldly stuff, even if he knows it'll probably be just destroyed and demolished and burnt in fire one day. Now, when Jesus comes, how does he shape this truth? And I think he shows us how to ultimately enjoy our possessions and our power. And that's to use it for the joy and the good of others. I don't know if you remember when Grant was preaching to us on pleasure and the the preacher was pursuing pleasure. He said, everything that my heart desired, I kind of just went for it. And in the end, he just didn't have any pleasure. And the problem is that Grant pointed out to us is everything he did with all of his money and his wisdom, he did it for himself. He did it for himself, for his own selfish desires. He spent it on himself. And Jesus comes to us and he shows us how to spend our riches. Look how it's put here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. You see, that's how you enjoy your wealth, by seeing it bringing other people joy. You enjoy your riches when you use it to make other people rich, hopefully forever. Jesus gave up the riches of heaven and he lived on earth as a poor man and he ultimately died naked on a cross with nothing. Everything he had, the three soldiers around him were fighting over. That's all he had. And he died naked so that you might be clothed in kingly and royal robes and enjoy the riches of heaven forever. That's how Jesus enjoyed his riches and how we should enjoy ours, by blessing others with it. And and that might mean in earthly ways, but also our hope and prayer is always to bless them with heavenly and eternal riches through the gospel of Jesus. This is how Paul puts it in, in 1 Timothy 6 again, and he actually addresses the rich in the church specifically. Look what he says. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. It cannot satisfy your soul. But set it on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future. That's mind-blowing. The good things that you're going to enjoy in the way you spend your money is just a foundation for the future. Think of all the other things that's going to come still. Oh my goodness. And so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. True living is to be rich in good works. To be generous and ready to share what you have with others, no matter how how much or how little that might be. And we can do this because God has richly provided a treasure for us in heaven that we will enjoy forever. And he will also continue to provide richly for us here on earth. And so when we view our possessions and wealth this way, actually what it does, it loses its grip on our hearts. And Jesus finally sets us free to enjoy things and to find a deep rest that loving money can't give us. So that's the second thing. Money is a gift to enjoy now and forever if we use it rightly, as Jesus teaches us. And then third and lastly, and this is very short, is ultimately what this next part is all about, is that Jesus alone satisfies our souls. 
Look at the third and last reality the preacher wants us to see there in verse 20. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. This is saying that the only way you can get through life well is to have your heart occupied with the joy that God gives you. Life is difficult. I mean, you see this so clearly in Ecclesiastes. And, and the preacher is trying to make us aware of that over and over again. Life is difficult. Life is frustrating. Life is painful. Life is unfair. Life is sad. It's, it's hard. It's quite depressing, actually, as we've seen throughout the book. And so how can you get through life and flourish when it's so hard? It's when you're satisfied with the joy that God gives you. And that way we won't remember, as it says there, much of our frustrating lives. The great joy that God can instill in the human heart makes all of life's trouble pale in comparison. And so we don't even remember it because we're so filled with joy. And so how do we get this joy? Well, in Jesus, of course. Look what he says here in John 15. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus is the one God has given us that our, so that our hearts may be occupied with his joy. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy our souls. And he wants us to find our joy in him. And he wants our joy not just to be a little bit, but to full, be full, to kind of burst at the seams. And so if we have a relationship with him, we will experience all of this. We will also experience relationship with God our Father and all of His family, which includes the people you see here. You see, finding your joy and satisfaction ultimately in Jesus um, is the way that kind of life doesn't break down. If you love Him, it doesn't break down your relationships, but it builds them up. And it makes them beautiful. You see, when you're satisfied in a relationship with Jesus, you can enter any other relationship uh, without trying to get something out of it. Remember, that's the pe- what the people do with a rich man. They just want a relationship with him so they can get all his stuff. When you're satisfied in your soul, you can actually enter relationships not wanting anything out of it. Just to love people, to care for them, to look after them because, because you're sorted. You can now uh, enter relationships and love people for, they, for who they are, not for the stuff you can gain from them. And so do you see how loving Jesus provides kind of deep and meaningful relationships that satisfy our souls? And again, it's something that money can't hide. So, Jesus alone can satisfy your soul. Money can't. So love him. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven that you can enjoy forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for what you have shown to us today and also, um, yeah, just what you have achieved for us. Thank you for giving up all of your riches um, and became poor that we might enjoy the riches of heaven uh, and that we might enjoy so much of those riches now, but we will um, enjoy them in their fullness in the future. May we love you more than we love money. May we use everything that you have given us 
uh, yeah, to store up treasures in heaven. Just like that parable speaks of the master coming back after giving all of his possessions to, to his servants. And those who have used it well, he says, enter into the joy of your master. Well done, good and faithful servant. May we do that with what you have given us. May we see it multiply in different ways through gospel ventures and risks. And I pray that especially for these guys, uh, that they might do it as individuals and also as a church. Please, Lord, um, may we continue to treasure you and sacrifice and give up everything uh, that we have been given on earth, that we might gain more and more of you, Jesus. And may you open up the eyes of many people in our community to see clearly life as it is and that they might see you as the ultimate um, joy and satisfaction of their longing souls and that it's not found in money or anything else for that matter. We pray all of these things in your mighty name.